0: Another day, another dollar makes you wonder where. With another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. Times get tough, or even if they don't dictate it, is almost always the case. During my 50 mile commute between Arlington and frisco texas today is tuesday november the 3rd 2009 and this is episode 309 of the survival podcast and uh... i am fresh back from my trip to the uh, bug out location soon to be Spirico primary homestead in uh... hot springs arkansas well not in hot springs but that's as close as i'm going to tell you to where it actually is and uh... I'll tell you what, folks. We, uh, we're we planning on going full-time with uh, the Survival Podcast in January. And uh, we're planning on moving around March up to Arkansas. And uh, that's got me really stoked, especially having just been there for a long, extended weekend. It, uh, it felt really good. In fact, it was really, really hard to come back. Um, I wanted to stay. You know, I guess if the dogs weren't here and all the stuff wasn't here, I might have stayed uh, this time. <laughs> That's how cool it was. But uh, it got me thinking a lot, and I'm going to talk today about the advantages of rural life. And I think there's a lot of them that we, we all know and we all think about, but I'm going to maybe take a different kind of a view of it. And usually I do my first show of the week, even if I uh, had something pre-recorded like this week when I come back and I do a uh, listener question show. We'll preempt that right now, because I want to do this one. It's fresh in my mind Before that though We do have some housekeeping i got quite a bit today I apologize in advance For the duration But tune in Because some of this Is really cool stuff First of all Sponsors of the day Um, Remember our sponsors Personally vetted by me uh, Personally vetted by our moderators And uh, you have our assurance in them uh, where they would not be here Sponsor of the day number one Is Safe Castle Royal Uh, Safe Castle Royal Offers an amazing assortment Of preparedness items They also have a really cool discount membership. It's a lifetime membership. It's $29. I'll tell you you can get it for free in a minute. Um, Next is the Lifesaver 4000 uh, water filtration bottle uh, from Ready-Made Resources. This is also our sponsor of the day. This bottle's amazing. It filters down to .015 microns. That's as small as viruses and bacteria. That means you can put any water on the earth in this thing and make it safe to drink. The originator uh, saw what happened during the time Uh, the the tsunami in uh, Southeast Asia. And all the people that had no water, even though there was water everywhere because it was so contaminated after the uh, the tidal wave. And uh, that was his inspiration to build this product. And it's pretty amazing, so I suggest you check it out. Next, make sure you get involved with our forum. Great place. Leave it at that. Um, next, if you think this show's worth more than 20 cents an episode, and if you like having your investments paid back immediately, consider joining the Survival Podcast Member Support Brigade, uh, where you'll get a Exclusive content available only to members, and uh, we've made some improvements there uh, in the past couple days. And I wanted to spend a little bit more time on members' brigade today than I normally do, other than just mentioning it to let you know what it is, how it works, and uh, what you get. Uh, Member support brigade is simply a way for you to support the show. If you think the show's worth uh, any type of uh, financial investment at all, this is how you do it. In the beginning, I was offered donations. I turned every offer for donation down. I decided I would never take money from my audience unless I was giving them something in return. And last year in February in a beta and then March in a full time, I launched the Members Support Brigade. What it initially was is it's every episode of the Survival Podcast the convenient zip files. All of them. So the first 50, the last 50 are available on iTunes. And then you can go through the site and one by one, pick them out and download them. Or you can join Members Brigade and they're zipped up in uh, groups of 24 for you. And you can get every episode that we've ever published. So that was one of the things. And then I started doing some videos, and I did some videos on things like um, how to become a better rifleman, on how to build a strawberry pot, um, some uh, additional gardening videos, how to make biltong. I put a bunch of little videos together. They weren't the best quality. We're working on that, and I'll tell you more about that in a second. But I put those videos in there. And then recently, I did a really great 30-minute video on building a three-part composting system using uh, Rubbermaid garbage cans. That came out really good. I'm going to be selling that as an individual item today non-members. So all of those are there. Additionally, James Stevens stepped up right away and said, hey, I'll tell you what, I have a bunch of e-books that I sell. Now, James Stevens, I'm going to talk more about him in a second, too. Uh, Best-selling author of Making the Best of uh, Basics. uh, Best-selling book on preparedness of all time. Sold over 800,000 copies. So I'll give you these things for your members. So I put them in there, and they all have a retail price on them, and that kind of added to it. And then Safe Castle Royal stepped up and said, hey, we have this discount membership, this uh, this Buyer's Club. It's uh, 19 bucks a time, now they've raised it at 29 bucks. You can give that to your members. So I put that in there. So that's, that was the original kind of value proposition to the MSV. The next thing that we did, though, is we started talking to other people and we've added a few more discounts. One, 10% discount on everything at survival.com from Ron Hood. Permanent. So he gave a 10% discount for two weeks after he was on the show, but then he made that discount permanent for MSB members. So 10% off all of his DVDs. Amazing education opportunity, 10% off. Kyle Christensen, who was on the show yesterday for you, it was Thursday for me, um, put out a 5% discount for everybody, but a 10% discount code for members. Now, this is my, you know, I don't usually say this much about it, so I want to add in. If you are a vendor of quality merchandise you are a sponsor of the show or even if you are not a sponsor of the show if you'd like to put together a discount code for MSB members, let me see what you got and if I like your site, if I like what you're doing and the discount seems reasonable for, for our members I will put it back there and I will add to that so that is what we're doing with MSB when I want MSB, yeah it's 50 bucks a year or $5 a month, but I want it to pay for itself for you and that's the value add I built there, so way more time than I normally normally spend on it, but I needed to let you know all that, because I guess I don't really talk about it that much, because I don't want to turn the show into a pitch to be a supporting member, but once in a while, I'll fill you in, so there you go, now, I mentioned James Stevenson this, now, I know this is still kind of housekeeping here, but this is important, I get one opportunity for this, yesterday, if you're on my email distribution list, I got home about 2 o'clock, about 2.30, maybe 3 o'clock, as quick as I can get it out, I sent you guys an email telling you that uh, the next edition of Making the Best Best of Basics, which is going into print right now, and uh, you're going to wait a while to get your book because there's been so many pre-orders of it, but it was going from 29.95 95 up to 34.95. Additionally, right now, if you pre-order, you get a free uh, one-hour audio disc, and uh, when James starts this kind of like a premium service, you get a month free on it. I don't know exactly how that works, but he said there's no obligation if you, if you choose to take it, and uh, it'll be cool. So, that's it. Now, why am I bringing this up? Well, he said the price was going up at midnight yesterday. So I sent that email out. Uh, I think he got about 150 orders, and like 54 of them came from TSP listeners. So he called me last night at like 9 o'clock. He said, Jack, what the hell's going on? What would you do? I said, I sent an email to everybody. He said, wow, well, they like 50 people ordered the book from your site. I said, well, they probably want to save the 5 bucks to get a free disc. And he said, well, that's great. And I said, James, you know, only about half my listeners um, are on the email list. Most of them get just iTunes. Feeds, or just come by the site every day with a bookmark or whatever. So, like half of the people who listen to the show don't even know that this, you know, your price is going up, or you haven't had a chance to get this free offer. So he said he would give us a 24-hour extension. So that I means so you got it till midnight tonight. I'll put a link in today's show notes if you want to get a copy of this book. This is the best book on on like common sense prepping I've ever read, and I've got the edition from like 1999. The last, when it went out of print, the last edition. And there's a tremendous amount of recipes for using cracked wheat. There's just practical advice. And then there's like an entire Yellow Pages section that's just resources. Now, some of those resources in that old edition are not available anymore. Uh, but the new edition, of course, is going to have all updated resources. So I think this is an outstanding book, belongs on everybody's bookshelf. Save five bucks, get the free audio. Um, you got till tonight. It's not a marketing tactic. I just told you what really happened, and uh, I asked for an extra day for you guys, and I got it. So if you're interested in that book, I'd save the five bucks and get the free audio. And uh, after tonight, uh, James said one time, no more. So that knocks that out. So now let's get into the topic today, today's show, and I know that was long, folks, and I hope you hung in there with me, because there's a lot of things that are going on that I want you to know about, because I want to share what we're doing with you. But the reason that I, I want to share what the show's doing, and what we're doing for you, is because I've become so passionate about helping people live that better life, and be prepared for the worst at the same time. And, and that's really what the show's been about since day one. On day one, when I launched this site, I put the first 15-minute crappy segment up there. I, there was a tagline up there, helping you live a better life if times get tougher, even if they don't. From day one. It wasn't something that my marketing mind worked on. I just sat down and said, how do I make this work for people? So that's why I'm sharing this stuff. And that's why I want to share with you kind of my thoughts after being up in my bug out location in a rural environment for the past four days. And what are some of the advantages that are there. And the biggest advantage that I I think I can possibly explain to you is that you're surrounded by teachers. You're surrounded by teachers. And what I mean by that is, and you could do this in the city. And I'm, I'm on 408 right now. There's actually pretty, pretty beautiful. I mean, there's some trees turning color, and it's got big fields. And the, this part of the the south part of the interstate's not well developed. There's almost no buildings, and it almost looks rural, but it's not. And it's all privately owned land, and if you start walking around on it, the police are going to show up and ask what you're doing. Rightly so, because people don't want you on their, their privately held land. So that's limited. But there's fields, and there's parks, and there's backyards, and there's all kinds of places where even in the city there's there's plants and there's wildlife. And you can learn from there, but you'll never learn the same, because they don't behave normally, and they don't interact normally. And, and what I'm trying to say is if, if you go out and... You know, buy a couple books on plants and wildlife and trees. Let's just say animals of whatever state you're in or animals whatever region you're in, trees of, and maybe medicinal or native plants of, and, or the equivalent, whatever you can find. And I've got some pretty good ones that I picked up at the bookstore while we were up there that I'll make available to you guys on my book list probably tomorrow. I'm not going to get time to do that today. But if you'll do that, and then you just... Take a walk in kind of the real rural country area where wildlife can behave like itself, where plants can interact. And what I mean is when you look in the city, there's so many houses and buildings and things that break up the landscape, that create artificial edges, and they don't let the the, the plant life naturally transition, and they don't let the wildlife naturally move around. And then we start feeding everything because, well, we like the wildlife, even though we've drove it all off, so they're half tame. And in this environment, you're not surrounded by, let's put it this way, I, I think you're surrounded... As long as you can find nature, you've got a teacher. Alright? But getting an education from wildlife and plant life in the city is like going to a two-bit... Um, community college. Not even a good community college. Kind of a, uh, you know, people go, you went where? That kind of college, right? You can learn. And you can get as much, and if you work really hard, and if you study, and if if you take additional effort um, and go beyond what the teacher makes you do, you can be as educated from that two-bit community college as you can from an Ivy League education or from a top-notch university, Right? But your teachers are inherently limited. They're on tenure, right? You know what tenure means for a teacher? A teacher on tenure can't get fired, right? Well, the squirrel in the park can't starve. People are going to throw peanuts at them and french fries and everything else. Even the sparrows in the McDonald's parking lot, I've seen them so fat they can barely fly from being thrown french fries out the window from people at lunchtime. They're tenured professors. And they're not going to challenge you. And you're only going to learn so much from them And you're going to have to force the issue to learn more. Two-bit community college. You go out into the wilderness or the rural areas at the edge of wilderness where you can walk into the wilderness literally from your back door. And your teachers are different. These are Ivy League professors, and they're not tenured Ivy League professors. They're new, aggressive, energetic professors that want the most from their student. That's how I feel when I'm in a rural environment. People, How do you see that much? Simply because I look. And, yeah, you know, we took some walks up there. We shot some video, too, you guys. Got, I, I forgot to say that in the house because it was so long. you got to subscribe to my YouTube channel. I've got, like, four or five videos coming. Really cool one with a slingshot. But my wife and I took the, these walks, and I would explain to her how many different things there were around us that were useful. You know, different varieties of hickories. We found Mount Nash. And I showed her what Mount Nash looked like and explained that, you know, Mount Nash is high in vitamin C. The Indians used it to, to keep, pre- prevent scurvy. And she's a nurse, and she's like, "Wow, well, I never knew that." You know, and, and there's just so many things like that. We went out, we got a couple books on tree identification. We we found a, a, a beautiful tree, uh, actually like a clump of trees up on the uh, northern part of our uh, property, and they're all small and we're going to thin them out, but we like—we really didn't think they were that pretty last time we were there, and I guess last season they hadn't grown enough back, because they were cut down, and now they're kind of coming back in this big thicket, uh, but then these beautiful red leaves, and she said, what kind of tree is that? And I said, I don't know and uh, it turns out it's a very common tree, black tul- tulpo or tulipo, I'm not sure how you say it tul- tulpo, I think and a very common tree, and we'll leave a few of them, but we just learned that by being there and observing. Um, I found four different medicinal plants in my front yard after we weeded everything down to the ground, basically. I still found four new medicinal plants that I didn't know about just with a guide i don 't think that you 're generally going to find that in the city, especially with a lawn that 's been fertilized and weed killers been used to kill all the weeds slash medicinal plants. So the teachers are there when, when we, uh, we we walked through the woods we actually I caught the second one of my life a blue tailed five line skink and the reason I caught him is because it was chilly out and he was moving slow and he was little. Instead of being, you know, the big ones, they just move way too fast to catch by hand. And, you know, we, we caught this little guy, and uh, we watched him just sit in our hand, because he was scared, and he was chilled, and we watched him warm up. And when he got warm from the warmth in my hand, which was a lot warmer than the uh, 60 or 50 degree air uh, on the mountaintop, uh, he just vaulted and took off. And, and, you know, you see things like that. Um Saw deer sign. People have been hunting the deer already. Black powder has been in. Archery has been in up there. But, yeah, there's still deer around. And I I think the deer are sometimes smarter than the hunters based on what I'm seeing from hunting patterns and deer sign. And and I'm I'm watching and I'm observing all this. And I'm thinking, you're just not going to get this in Arlington or whatever big city that you're living in. And I want to explain this, you know, as I'm saying all this today, if you like the city, I'm not putting you down. There are people that love the city, that get the most out of the city. I'd say you still need to spend some time out in the rural environment, but if you hate the city, these are compelling reasons to start building a lifestyle that lets you get the hell out of there. And and that's what I'm doing. And and, and these are some of the reasons why. Uh, But being surrounded by teachers, and by teachers I mean the forest, the animals, the plants, even the silence is just so amazing. The next one was just the freedom to walk. I mean, yeah, I can walk out my door in Arlington, and I can pretty much go anywhere I want. So I'll go walking on anybody else's property. But there's roads and sidewalks everywhere, and there's, so there's even some nice little parks and all, and they're okay. But again, you're not surrounded by those teachers, and it's not the same. It doesn't have that open, free feeling. When we were walking around, even out our front door and up around past the couple neighbors that are there and up on the back side of the mountain and, and looking down at our house from, from about 400 feet higher up, it was complete freedom. The air's clean. clean. Right? It tastes different. And that taste makes you feel free. It makes you understand that you're, you're pretty much unlimited at this point as to what your choices are with what you do. I just don't feel that way in the city. And I think it's a big reason that so many preppers have a desire to move out into rural areas. Sure, there's a safety factor there. If there's a martial law declared or civil breakdown or even total economic collapse, you're probably going to be safer in a small town or way out in the, in the sticks than you are ground zero in the middle of Dallas or San Francisco or Jacksonville or New York or... Philadelphia, or Boston, or Baltimore, or any other big city you can think of. Chicago, you name it. There's not a lot of uh, gang activity out in the country, so that safety factor's there. But more than that, it's a freedom. And to me, it's a freedom to walk. And I think if you just take the time once in a while to maybe do a little bit of camping, or even, you know, have a... Rurally challenged wife uh, like I too, and she doesn't not big on camping. Go get a little cabin or a hotel somewhere, but out in the sticks and just take a walk in the woods. And you'll feel it, and you'll understand it. And again, you'll be surrounded by all those great teachers. The key is to look and observe when you when you're exercising that freedom to walk. We saw so many people up on I would say so many, there weren't that many, there were uh, half a dozen people up on West Mountain when we hiked up there. And uh, half a dozen on the trails, anyway. There's a bunch of them sitting on the overlook, just sitting in their cars or, you know, walking 15 feet to the rail and getting back in their car and leave. Um, but the people that we saw on the trails, even, they have this this expedience about their walking. They're in a big hurry. A lot of our power hikers, they're in it for the physical fitness. That's going to happen anyway. Let it be. But they've got to head down and they're just going. You know, we'd be stopping and, you know, shot a little video or we'd stop and we were, you know, I'd be explaining to Dorothy what something is or she'd spin she's got great eyes and she'd spot, you know, these geckos or or all these little different creatures in the forest floor and people would just go right by us. They wouldn't even concern themselves. Well, what the hell are these guys looking at? And at one point we stopped and picked up some acorns uh, for the slingshot video. Which you'll have to tune into the YouTube channel probably this afternoon or tomorrow to see that. And, uh, I mean, people looked at us like, they said, you're crazy, you're picking up acorns. You know, when they were like eight years old or something, and it's like, you know what, sometimes it's good to even be, we weren't being eight, but sometimes it's fun to be eight years old in your head. If you want to be young, think young. And young kids in the forest stop all the time. They're, they meander, they look around, they observe. So when you're exercising that freedom to walk, observe. The next thing is that people are different. And I would say not all the people are different. I've seen miserable people in rural areas. I'll talk about that at the end. But the majority of them are very, very different people than what you come across in Arlington. Um, they're open. They're quick to uh, strike up a conversation. And, I mean, people in Texas are friendly. It's, even in the D- Dallas area, you know, we have a, we have a large population of uh, immigrants from the Northeast. I guess I'm one, but I don't know. I always fit in here like a native. Um, and it, maybe it's part of why I was never completely happy in the Northeast with uh, some of the social uh, pinnings. But it's totally different when you're really out in the country. There's just this this willingness to discuss what's going on. I actually find a lot of the people that are stereotyped as being very um, non-accepting, being very bigoted, or being very one-dimensional in thought, people of maybe, let's say, rigorous faith. Um, When you're out in the country, you may take them that way at first, but they're actually pretty open to, well, whatever you want to believe. I'm just telling you what I think. And as long as you, when you're in these rural environments, you take the same approach. Maybe I don't agree with you, but I'm not going to tell you how to think either. Then you find yourself in, you know, very engaging conversations. And by having those conversations, you'll quickly learn all the things about the area that you want to know, like... You know, where a good good bite to eat is, or where a good fishing hole is, or even where some good places to hunt are. Um, you find people really open to that, where, you know, you'll talk to a guy here that hunts, and, you know, he's got a deer lease somewhere, and you couldn't go on it if you wanted to because he's paying for it, but he doesn't even really want to tell you where it is. Oh, it's down southwest Texas. Well, that narrows it down. Where, where these folks are like, oh, yeah, I, I hunt the, uh, you know, the... The uh, region 17 of the you know upper 25th walk-in area in the state game lands, and it's pretty good for turkey in the uh, springtime, or you know what have you. Uh, they'll tell you, they'll tell you all. Oh, well, you know, here's how you can find out when the state's doing their stocking programs uh, in the lakes and the rivers around here, and real, real open. And it's a common interest in the outdoors. I think that if you live in a rural area, uh, more of the people, not all of the people, more of the people are actually interested in what the hell is going on outside their door. Uh, and they're less interested in politics. And I don't mean that they're not active in politics, but they're less interested in the minutia of politics. They're more concerned about the big picture. The local politics, they take care of that pretty easily because it's a smaller area, lower population. If a local politician starts doing something stupid in a rural area, people know where the guy lives. They'll go to his house and knock on his door and say, hey, bud, what are you doing? You keep this up, you're out. So there's you know, that local control is is, uh, is different, and then the big picture nationally, they're not so worried about every little nitpicking thing, but the big issues, they know where they stand on them, and they're willing to tell you, and, and they're willing to do something about it. And I just found that very refreshing. Um, the next one is silence and noise. Have completely new definitions. In the city, silence is the traffic's died down to a dull roar, um, and nobody's booming music or doing some other really noisy activity. There's not a soccer game going on with a bunch of kids and parents screaming down the road at a field or something. It's 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 a it's a dull noise that you learn to accept. And a lot of times, when you're in the city, or even in fairly small towns—I mean, down to you know the 20,000 population towns—what um, you think of is silence. Is it silent? You go to sleep at night. And you think it's quiet because you've learned to tune it out. A perfect example is at my office. When I moved uh, recently, to, a, I'd say recently, a year ago, to a new desk where I could keep an eye on things a little bit better, I ended up over by this thing bolted to the wall that had a backup server in it and it had a fan running, and it was just a whining, pitched noise. I couldn't, couldn't stand it. And I was ready to make our IT guy move it. Yeah, do whatever you have to, but shut that thing up, because I'm not moving. It is. And after about two days... I didn't even notice it anymore, but it's still there. And that's the dull noise that I'm talking about in the city, where when you get out into the rural environment, to the country, into the wilderness, when it is really quiet, and I mean that means that the animals have quieted down, the insects have quieted down, the wind is still, then you know silence. And the silence is almost deafening. And it has this ability to turn you inward with your thoughts. And you just never will get that in a city park. That background hum will always be there. It will never go away. Even even our limited hearing is humans compared to animals. It will be there. And it will be disruptive to the thought process. Likewise, noisy. When I say noisy in a city or a town, you probably think of trucks, car horns, right? people talking... Maybe construction equipment, maybe that god awful beep, beep, beep when large equipment backs up at a at a store or on a job site. That noise just I hate that noise. Right? And just this this clamoring. Noisy in the wilderness. Noisy in that real rural environment out on the farm or on the edge of woodlands. Noisy there is crickets or cicadas. For birds. And sometimes they're really loud. And if you watch one of the videos that we did this weekend, you'll hear the crickets just going nuts in the background. Chirp, chirp, chirp. Because they know that the winter's coming, right? And they know they're almost done because they're a lot like grasshoppers. They don't store food up very well. So they're getting the best that they can out of the end and reproducing so there'll be new crickets next year because they ain't going to be around. But you hear that noise. And sometimes it's actually disruptive. It's that loud. When's the last time, other than trying to sleep when a cricket got in your house, you found crickets or cicadas disruptive in the middle of a city? Probably never, because we've crowded them and killed them, and the other noise is a louder hum. You can't hear them over the hum of the city. And that is a big thing to me, silence and noisy having new meanings. You say, what does this have to do with preparedness? It has a lot to do with preparedness. Because how you think is a huge part of it. Because for many preppers, not all, there's some people that consider themselves urban preppers and they're going to stay that way. Or they're urban homesteaders and they're going to stay that way. that's okay. But for a lot of us, man, we want to be out there in the woods. We want to be out there in rural America. We want to form communities in a place where there's not a ridiculous number of human beings crammed into an acre. Ten families crammed on one acre in the city, and that's that's the suburbs, right? Tenth of an acre lot. that's pretty standard anymore. You go into towns, and they take that one square acre, and they put a building and a high-rise and a bunch of condos in there, and there might be 50 families or more crammed into that acre. And that is part of the danger that we live in. It's part of what makes human society amazing, but it's also part of why it's a powder keg. And it's why some of us want to step back from a little bit. I also find something, and I've noticed this every time that we go up there. When you're in that environment, when you're when you're separated from the noise, the distraction, the annoyance, the crowd, the congestion, the smells, the noises of the city, you stop needing shiny things to be happy. You're content with less, and and we've really reined back our. We don't spend a lot of money anymore. I've, the most money I've spent over the last year has been making the show better, investing in the show itself. But we have a lot of stuff Because we used to spend And we paid for it all And and when we're home We like to play with it all And we like to pull it out And look at it We like our big TV And our, our iPods And everything else There's nothing wrong with that stuff But when we're up there We don't take all our stuff with us we have lots to eat. We have lots of water. We have a little 12-inch TV set. It's about as big as my steering wheel. You know, we take a few DVDs. We get like four channels um, with the uh, rabbit ears uh, by pointing them toward Little Rock. And uh, they don't always come in, but with this new digital stuff, they come in pretty decent. And um, that's it. And we're completely content. We'll see, you know, when we have, like, kind of our downtime of the day, we've been out, we've hiked, we've worked, we've done whatever we, we came to do, and we just want to just relax. We'll sit on the porch, or we'll sit on the floor, start a fire in the fireplace, read a book, take a nap, pet the dogs that come by, play with the cat, because we always take the cat with us, she likes to go. We actually have a cat that likes to travel. But we're totally content. Take a walk up the mountain, this last time we went into town to do. Some, we wanted to get these books, so we went to the bookstore and we bought the two books. And uh, my wife says, "Well, where else can we go in town before we go home?" I so I don't know where do you want to go. She said, "I don't really know." And she said, well, "Let's just go back." I don't really. She goes, "I don't really want anything. I don't want to go to the stores or the shops in town or anything. I just want to go home and take my shoes off." That kind of calm peace. That separation from distraction and a natural ability to be content with less, to me makes that rural life a lot better of a style of living. It also makes it a hell of a lot easier to budget because you're less concerned with a lot of things. There are some drawbacks, but the affordability of a lot of things compensates for them. Here's one example. I've been, like, going nuts. How, when I move up there and I'm out in the middle of my mountain? And, you know, it's a long run of uh, telephone line down my road, let alone from the central office. How am I going to deal with Internet access? And, and I don't really care that I have the fastest loading pictures and I can watch a ton of video or anything like that. But, man, I've got to be able to do this show. And I gotta be able to upload it. I gotta be able to do my videos and I gotta be able to upload them. I gotta be able to work on the sites and the forums and everything else. I gotta be able to provide the service to you guys. So when we were up there this time, I just took a look at the paper. I said, well, you know, maybe they have like, uh, one of those office percolator things where, like, they have one big building and everybody rents a little alcove, but, God, it's probably going to cost five, 600 bucks a month at least, even there, you know, it's $1,000 here in the city for something like that or more, um, you know, what's available, and I found full office space, full one-room office space, um, kind of detached from everything you, you have as your own for 150 bucks a month. And I'm like, that in plain old DSL is a hell of a lot better deal than limited connectivity across satellite internet or trying to gang up a couple uh, AT&T Wi-Fi connections or something like that. That's, that's, that makes sense. So we'll have an office for, for a survival podcast when we move up there. It'll take us 20 minutes to get there. We'll do all our recording, all our shooting, and once a day we'll go by the office and upload and, and take care of stuff like that, and we'll use dial-up from the house. I could never afford to do that here. Between the resources consumed by the house and the taxes and everything else, and then the cost of actually doing that, it would be cost prohibitive. There, it's actually the most economical solution that I can find. In fact, I found a four-room office for 350 a month in Hot Springs. Four, I don't need it. No reason for me to get it, but it was available in there and I think that for a lot of people they want to run businesses that are primary internet businesses maybe they're not work from home business. maybe you eventually have a small staff or you need to be able to keep some stock in place and you want that separation that small town living that real small town living is the way to go and I think there's a big advantage to not maybe having all of your business life in your home so that's kind of I guess a bonus point there on my list but All that came from being actually content with less stuff. I also think there is a big factor in that you feel less exposed to danger. That doesn't mean you prep less. That doesn't mean you don't have your food stored, your backup water, your backup power, all the good stuff that we talk about all the time. But let's face it, there is less propensity to have a complete mob activity going on outside your door. Because, you know, if your street has 20 people on it, instead of 2,000, there's less of a people to make the mob in the first place. Odds are you know all of them. And when you know people... They're less of a threat. I know that some people don't believe that, but it's true. It's a lot easier for people to victimize a stranger. not take advantage of There's a difference here. I'm talking about true victimization. It's much easier to victimize a stranger than it is to victimize somebody you even just know in passing. That doesn't mean some people aren't sick, perverted, jerks, and won't do it. But overall, it's true. In fact, it's why they teach people... In a hostage situation, that are trained to deal with the potential of it happening, to become as connected to the captor, without the Stockholm thing where you become, you know, like, but to become as connected with the captor as possible. To have the captor know about you. To try to communicate with them slowly over time who you are, that you have kids, or that you're somebody's son or daughter, and what your dreams are and things like that. And it makes the captor less likely to do your harm. Not unlikely to do, you know, not like they wouldn't do it. It's only that kidnapped. you already has this predisposition for violence, but it's been proven. And if it's proven with the scum of the earth, which that person is, then with the average Joe, it's even more true. So it's easier for someone to, let's say, break into a house and steal all of somebody's food when they they don't care about that person at all, than when at least they know their name and they've been part of their community. So having that street with 20 people on it, where everybody knows everybody by name, and it also creates this environment of we better work together, and you better not screw over your neighbor because everybody's watching you. And that's even true with kids misbehaving. I mean, when I was a kid growing up in in rural Pennsylvania, if you did something wrong, your parents knew by the time you got home. They went through the parent grapevine. Nobody had a cell phone, a beeper, or an email. But information traveled at light speed in a small town that so-and-so got in trouble by getting in a fight with so-and-so in school. And both parents were pissed off when the kids got home. And it made kids a little more conducive to be, you know behaving well because of that, and that works on adults too, to a degree. And it's just a population density issue. There's 6.2 million people in Dallas-Fort Worth. 6.2 million people can cause a lot of damage. I'd say on the entire mountain that we live on up there in Arkansas, the entire—I mean, the entire thing, all the side shoots and everything—there might be 50 families. There might be 50 families, and we're talking dozens of square miles. And that is just kind of a piece in an understanding that you're less exposed. You're not unexposed, but you've mitigated your exposure. I think that's a huge advantage. Um, I, I put it this way. Recreational activities don't attract the cops. What do I mean by that? Back in uh ninety nine, I guess it was, we had moved to a, a place here in Arlington before we spent our few years up in Pennsylvania. And um you know, I, I really wanted to do do more shooting. And I wasn't getting the opportunities to shoot. There was a gun range, but um, you had to pay to shoot. You had to load everything up in the car. You had to go out to the gun range. Uh, you had to deal with a range officer. You had to deal with all these other people around you. And I just wanted to work on my precision. To spend some time shooting with real feedback. So, I went out and I bought a decent little gamo pellet rifle, 177 caliber, and I built an absolutely robust, good-performing pellet trap. Uh, Large enough, there's no way you could miss it unless you're autistic, blind, and spinning in circles with uh, a a blindfold over your eyes. I mean, this was a pretty big pellet trap to be sitting, you know, pellet distances away and shooting into. And... um, Tested it, no, never pellets, never came out of it, never went through the other side. Uh, Was really cool, really robust. Thought, okay, cool. No one can complain about this. So I started setting this thing in my backyard, and I would sit on my deck, and I would take different positions, prone, kneeling, standing, and I would shoot at paper targets with this pellet gun at a distance of about 15 yards. And pellet guns are a little bit noisy. Well, one day... A female police officer from Arlington, Texas, shows up and says, Are you shooting a firearm here? I said a firearm? She goes, yes, she a firearm. I said, no. So I'm shooting a pellet gun. She goes, the, the city of Arlington considers a pellet gun a firearm. Now, right here, I know she's wrong. Alright? Because if the city of Arlington considered a pellet gun a firearm, then to buy a fire a pellet gun in the city of Arlington, you would have to go through fi- federal firearm procedure. Or there'd be something more than, you know, are you over 16? Yeah, here you go. Bye. Great. Right? So I know she's wrong. But I'm not going to argue. This is what I've told you guys before. I'm I'm not going to argue with the police officer. So I said, uh, I did not know that. I thought a pellet gun was, she said, it was, you know, basically she said, stop it, and I'll go away. So I said, fine, I'll stop it. So I called the courthouse, and I asked, I think about like six different people, to find out it was completely legal, the way I was doing it, to discharge a pellet gun. In the city of Arlington, that it was not considered a firearm. I had to go through all kinds of hoops to actually get, go up to the courthouse and get a printout stating that. I went as far as calling the Arlington police chief, asking him about it, and, and getting his direct statement and saying, you know, and, and writing it down and on the bottom of the paper where this was printed out and his name and the time I talked to him. And then I went back to shooting my pellet rifle. And lo and behold, not only does an officer show up, the same lady. I thought we had discussed this. I said, and and we had a very long, drawn-out, almost, almost the edge of threatening me conversation to say you can't do this, even with the paperwork in front of me saying that I could. And eventually she left. And her final statements were along the lines of, your neighbors don't like this and I don't want to be here, so why don't you just knock it off? So I eventually figured out which, and I would have just talked to the neighbor, but I didn't know who it was, and they won't tell you. I eventually figured out what neighbor it is. I went over and I talked to her. And I said, why do you think this is dangerous? She explained, I said, "You look, first of all, I'm going to tell you I'm legally allowed to do this. I just sent the cop away. Even she acknowledged it. But I don't want to make trouble. And I had to explain to her and show her that why the hell would you have to go through so much grief to do something completely legal in a completely responsible way? Arkansas walk out my back door. Take the 45, boom, 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 nobody cares. Neighbor shows up and goes, hey, that's pretty cool, can I shoot it too? Um, that is. Really something that I think is a big deal. And I'm not not talking about just shooting, but a lot of things that you can do out in the country, uh, down to setting off fireworks on the 4th of July, for God's sakes, won't attract any unnecessary attention. In the city, you have the police showing up at your door like you're some kind of criminal, even when you're behaving completely legally under city ordinances. How many people have had grief trying to keep a chicken in a city, even when it's completely legal? I also think it's it's really a lot better for your physical and mental health uh, to be in a role environment. Now, maybe not for everybody, but for most people that silence and that noise difference that I talked about in the beginning, the teaching the learning, I think it all adds up to uh, a better health environment overall, less stress I can't prove it, but I bet you there's less chronic disease in rural environments than there is in the cities, Um, and I bet most of the chronic disease in rural environments are through the use of drugs, alcohol, and tobacco to excess, and that's probably the primary cause of them, if you remove that Even from both equations, I think you'd find people a lot healthier out in rural environments. Um, I think that you're you're just naturally more inclined to be active. You you don't, you know, you get in a city and you go through this traffic. and You know what, when I get home, folks... (laughs) I usually do some work for the show the next day a little bit. I answer all my emails. I do any tech support that I have to do for you guys. Um, I eat. and A lot of times I'm the guy that cooks and not just the guy that eats. Uh, I have a couple beers, but, man, I don't really have it in me to do much else. I, I usually get out to the garden because uh, it usually needs to be done. I'm getting to the point now where i got to get up early and deal with the garden in the mornings because it's dark by the time I get home. Um, but it just saps you. It saps you to a point of inactivity at some point, and... um I, I, I think when you when you get away from that, and you remove those things from your life, you just have more energy to spend on, on productive behavior. And that's good for spiritual, uh, emotional, and mental health. I also think it's it's healthier because you're closer to being what a human supposed to be. I'm going to use a word as I describe this, and the word is evolution. And I want you to understand that no matter what your spiritual or religious beliefs are, you shouldn't be afraid of that word in the context that I'm using it here. I don't care if you believe in pure 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 evolution, intelligent design, or pure creationism. Nothing I'm going to say now detracts from any of those. At some point, human beings started to put together civilizations. And they started to to, 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 to feed themselves and clothe themselves. and, And they became something more than just the animals around them. As they did that, for the vast majority of humankind, large cities were the exception, not the rule. People lived in small bands and tribes. They traveled freely. They, there were no physical borders for most people other than tribal territories. And a lot of the uh, mythology around tribal warfare is exaggerated and exasperated. Uh, generally speaking, if one group of people did not infringe upon another, there was very little conflict for people to simply move around. And In that time, we became what we are. And if we look at human history, it's it's the last 200 years that involve us living the way that we do now to a degree and it's the last 50 years that really involve us living the way most of us live now. Behind that is 10,000 years of natural behavior that's born and ingrained into the human mind, body, heart and soul. And when we put ourselves into these environments in these cities, I really believe that for most of us, we're going so far away from that natural behavior, that's where what I call city misery comes into effect. Even a lot of times, we're surrounded by a lot of really nice stuff, and we have good jobs, and we make good money, and we have pretty houses, and we have pretty cars. We have shiny MasterCards and visas, and great credit lines, and good friends, and we play golf, or whatever it is our you know recreational activity is. And uh, we think... We're really happy. But we're actually still miserable. And and I think that comes from not being what we are. Not being human. Humans are supposed to hunt and gather and cultivate. They're supposed to have tight-knit relationships with select individuals that they choose to associate with. You know, in the past, if if you didn't like the people around you, you left and you went and found new people to be around. And people still do that. But they're surrounded by 6,000 to 6 million people when they're doing that instead of 60. And I think that you get much closer to that small agrarian lifestyle that we as humans have spent the majority of our existence living. And we're hardwired that way now. Because we spent so much time in in history living that way. My last part is, I want to be honest, it doesn't work for everybody. We stopped at a Cracker Barrel, middle of nowhere, Arkansas, on the way home. Country people, absolutely country, rural living. And I'd say half of the couples in, in and people in this restaurant, while we sat there and ate breakfast, looked pretty happy. They looked pretty content. They seemed like they were engaged in things. They seemed reasonably healthy. Um... They looked like they had some youth in their eyes, even some of the older... And I mean a lot older couples, people that probably could have been 80 years old. I'd say half of them had that same look of misery. And I think those are people... They just don't know what they have. They live like they're in the city, even though they're in the country. They they take for granted the things that are around them. They don't stand on the hilltop and look at that amazing view and really understand what it is, because they've always had it. It's never been taken away, and they don't really get how special it is anymore. And those people have the same misery in their eyes that, they do, that the people do in the city. And I think that if you're if you're going to plan your life and you're going to try to make it a better life, and you're going to try to create redundancies and and, and protections and, and ways that you can go on living if all hell breaks loose at the end of the world as we know it hits just for you or for everybody. If you're going to do that, then you got to have to, to, to be willing to do the extra things. you got to have a passion for life. And it, it may not be as simple as moving out to the country. Some people will move out there and be absolutely miserable. You have to find happiness wherever you are, and as long as your city misery is just an annoyance rather than a lifestyle, that move may help you. If it's who you are because you haven't figured out what you really are yet and what really makes you happy yet, then I don't care where you move, you're going to bring that misery with you. Or any happiness will be short-lived. You have to figure out what you really want. And as you do that, you'll be a better prepper. And I'm going to try to join these things at the end and tell you how they're so synchromesh that they actually are the same thing. To be a prepper in the mind of the novice is simply to have a bunch of food, a bunch of guns, a bunch of ammo, and a place that you can go stay uh, if things get really bad that's, that's reasonably defensible. Uh, to carry around a bug out bag, to know your way around a knife, a gun, a fishing rod, uh, and maybe a bow and arrow. And maybe have a group of people that have agreed to stick together if times get tough. That's it. That's, that's novice prepping. The prepper that sees it as a lifestyle, the advanced prepper, the self-sufficiency adventurer uh, I- kid, the the, the self-reliance individual, the person that really ingrains it into who they are, sees all of this stuff as simply an extension of what's natural so that I can continue to live as close to the way I live now no matter how bad things get now, to be willing to make that sacrifice I have to be happy with the way things are today or what's my incentive to worry about keeping it that way how much passion will I have, or how important will it be to me will i have to make a decision financially to invest in a prep or short-lived entertainment, what's going to make me make the better decision? When I have to choose between whipping out a credit card and going into debt or putting the money in the bank and cutting the credit card in half, what is going to drive me? Contentment with my current lifestyle is what's going to drive me. And I think for a lot of us to truly find it, we need to get out of the highly congested areas. For some people, you can be completely happy there. If that's you, don't be dissuaded by what I said. Be empowered by Try to bring as much of the thing I talked about today into your life in your urban environment. Create quiet spaces for yourself. Occasionally, drive the hell out and experience true quiet. But create as much as you can. Understand what drives you. Understand what motivates you. If you want an urban homestead in the city, fine. Make it the best that it can be. But above all, find contentment in things. And with that, I think I'll go ahead and wrap up today. I hope you guys enjoyed today's show. This was a lot less formal, a lot less research than a lot of the other things that I've done uh, and a lot of the other shows that I do because I just came back from that type of place. And I wanted to share it with you. I wanted to share what it meant to me. Not so much so that you can have the same vision or views or or get the same meaning that I do out of it, but so you can take experience from one person and apply it to your life and find what's important for you and what your goals are. I want everybody that listens to this show to go beyond simply being prepared for disaster. I want you to be prepared to live life today and really get the most out of it, and be able to preserve and protect it, because it's special to you. That is so much different than the stereotypical bullshit that the news and the media brings up when they talk about us. They will never understand, because they're not satisfied with their own lives. They're not content with their own lives. They don't value their own lives. They're always looking for something more, in a materialistic sense. So what they consider the evolution of society must be a good thing, because if it doesn't keep going forward, if there isn't some new gadget or gizmo tomorrow, I'll get bored and I'll be miserable again, and I need this stuff. That's how they think. Because of that, they're not looking to preserve what they have. They're looking to constantly change what they have into something else. That's why they don't get it. That's why until they have that calm, quiet, peaceful moment, and find contentment and realize what they are again a human being they'll never get it that's why they'll keep doing stories and sensationalizing survivalism, prepping and self-sufficiency while it's a topic du jour that's why at some point it will stop being a topic du jour and they'll all go away and go back to some other nonsense and we'll all still be here that's why because we value what we have. We value knowledge and we value skill. In the country, and this is part of why I love it so much, there are still people that know how to do things that no one in the city knows how to do. They're still blacksmiths, right? And not, you know, in some reenactment or something like that. They're still knife makers, right? They're still craftsmen that build things that are special and unique and individual. And Hong Kong and China and Beijing and Japan and Taiwan can never produce. There's craftsmen in those countries that can produce their own unique items. They're not suitable for mass exportation because they're individualized. Those are the things that make what we do special. And I'd like you to figure out what are the things in your life that you most want to preserve. That'll lead you down the proper path for planning your lifestyle and preserving your lifestyle through common sense preparations. And with that, this has been Jack Spirica with another edition of the Survival Makes Podcast, you helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. You can scream, and you can holler in the Doesn't matter Cause it all gets spent